In the Episcopal Church, we say, the Lord be with you. Awesome. Gracious and loving God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your grace. Thank you for drawing us near to you. Lord, we ask forgiveness of our sins this day, and most especially the sins of the one who teaches, for her sins are many. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few months ago, I was doing what I usually do on uh, Sunday afternoons, which is that I hide in the bathroom with my phone. Um, Sundays are long in our house. Uh, My husband is an Episcopal priest, and so he usually doesn't roll in the door until 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And by the time he walks through, I hand over the two kids, I walk back to the bathroom, and I stare at my iPhone for 10 minutes. I am so done by 3 p.m. on a Sunday. I've usually spent my Sunday morning doing what a lot of moms here probably do, which is to convince my four-year-old son to wear appropriate clothes for church, which I fail miserably at because he's always, like every Sunday, will pull it out of the dirty clothes of Bucky's t-shirt that's (laughs) tie-dyed. And then I have to tell him to be quiet like 4,000 times during church. And we're on this new kick where um, I take him into worship with me so we can both have, like, a really bad worship experience. (laughs) Um, We have a 10-month-old daughter, and uh, I drop her off at nursery, and she's pretty sure I'm never, ever going to pick her back up again. So that's, like, a trauma thing that happens weekly. Um, So by the time I get the whirlwind of children home, fed, and napped all by myself, I want to lay down and watch Bravo. Um, But I don't because I'm usually so keyed up. So my husband walks to the door, I hand off the kids, and I go to hide in the bathroom. Um, I guess it was about a month ago, I really hit my low with this. So I'm in the bathroom, and I'm sitting there on the floor, exhausted, scanning my iPhone, looking at Facebook or Twitter or my email or whatever, something that would make me feel less tired and like a better mother or just an escape. So my toddler comes to the door and he bangs on the door and he goes, Mama, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm in the bathroom, Neil. And then he goes, are you pooping? Because it's only okay if you're pooping. And I was like, yes. Like I totally lied because I was not. I was sitting on the floor scanning my iPhone. To be clear, I was hiding in the bathroom. I love to hide in the bathroom. My name is Sarah Condon. Welcome to Hiding in the Bathroom, Why Inspired Parenting Will Kill You. I'm mother to Annie and to Neil, and wife uh, to the ever-patient, ever-supportive Josh Condon, who has two children on his own today in Houston, Texas, so praise God for him. And I'm a priest at St. Martin's Church in Houston. I began with that story because I want to talk today about what we hold fast to in those moments of desperation the comfort that fails to really comfort us, and our Lord who promises to rescue us from the depths of ourselves. So first, I want to talk about what the world tells us we should find comforting, but that rarely is. Social media, parenting books, and other alleged parenting experts essentially offer us two different categories. I want you to go with me here. My child is my guru, and I woke up drunk. I'm generalizing, so. 
while these may sound wildly different, I'm going to assert that they are actually the same thing and that neither of them will give us relief and that both of them will kill us. So let's start today with the obvious one. My child is my guru parenting. This kind of inspired parenting seeks dreamy perfection. It encourages us to be the kind of parents that you see in ads for perfume. There is a field. Children are always running and laughing. Usually they're dressed in neutral tones or white. We are always patient. And ideally, we are endless suppliers of spiritual wisdom. You will recognize this kind of parenting by the quotes people post on Facebook, who are usually not parents or like their kids are older. I just want to name that. I've never seen someone with a small child post this. So this reminds us that our children are valuable gifts. It reads, the most precious jewels you'll ever have around your neck are the arms of your children. Maybe it's just me, but every time I see this, I feel like I'm choking a little bit. The worst part about my child is my guru parenting is that it spiritualizes children and our relationships to them in a way that I think is actually really unhealthy. There are a lot of slogans out there to remind us that our children are the way, the truth, and the life. We are told that we should be almost envious of their innocence and ability to ask questions. We should pray at the altar of their enlightenment. I call bull hockey on this kind of parenting approach. If you really want to be disappointed in your children, get them to teach you about religion. There are a few things they've got down pat, right? They're going to teach you about sin and yourself and in them. They're going to teach you about law and yourself and in them. But they're not going to teach you how to turn the other cheek. They're not going to teach you how to live sacrificially. They have no suggestions for what to do when they start throwing things out of the cart at the grocery store. But this kind of parenting tells us our children can be our many gurus. We just need to get on our knees and listen more. And as much as I hate to admit it, I think we all long for this relationship with our children. We want to be in perfect harmony with them. But we can't because our kids are not short Dalai Lamas. They are short sinners, and we are tall sinners, and none of us are actually enlightened. Here's the good news, culturally speaking. We seem to be questioning this baby guru approach to parenting. Here's the bad news. The second kind of inspired parenting is sort of reactionary, cynical, and a race to the bottom situation. So I like to call the second kind of inspired parenting, I woke up drunk. And here's why. There's a movement underfoot in the mom blogosphere where we all brag about how awesomely bad we are at parenting. And we pat each other on the back and we try to one-up our fellow mother's poor decision-making. I see this played out on the sidewalks of schools all the time. And for the record, I have definitely been a ringleader at this. Now, you'll notice it starts out innocently enough One mom admits to something that's not totally terrible, but instead of giving her space to admit parental shortcomings, instead of just listening to her, her, we all have to jump in and up the ante. We have to justify our failures. So mom one says, we're so tired, we were up really late letting Johnny watch Paw Patrol. And then mom two says, hey, it happens. We slept in this morning. Susie didn't even get to eat breakfast. And then mom three says, 
It's cool, y'all. I woke up drunk. Now, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but there's some truth. You'll notice that none of us really says to one another, hey, what's actually going on in your life? Are you okay? There's just this general call for us to say, perfection is so unattainable. Why even bother with good enough? Let's all just be mediocre. It's like a law of mediocrity. And while we like to think of this style of parenting as telling it like it is or being honest, I kind of think it's the opposite. We're not saying what's really going on. Why was your kid up so late? Why did your daughter miss breakfast? Why is the house never really clean? Why do you eat only crappy food? Are you overwhelmed, depressed, exhausted? Do you need to see a therapist? Do you have marriage problems? What are the real sins and issues behind the surface? We are inundated with this I woke up drunk style of parenting on mommy blogs. Let's just take a minute and look at the titles of some of the most popular mommy blogs out there. Rage Against the Minivan, which sounds terrifying. Scary Mommy, which has great content, but I'll read an article and then I'll look up and see it's Scary Mommy and every time I'm like, ooh. Um, or Mama's Losing It, which I'm actually a ghostwriter for, but I'm not, I'm kidding. I'm not a ghostwriter, but I wish I was because it's like, Mama's Losing It. Um, what I would say about this style of parenting is that, that while it wants to offer us relief from the burden of perfection or enlightenment, it doesn't offer any at all. It just tells us Stop trying to be perfect. Don't be anxious. Own your own mess. This kind of advice makes me crazy because I long for perfection. Anxiety is my drug of choice. And I want people to see the only version of my mess that is quaint enough to post on Facebook. So what do my child is my guru and I woke up drunk parenting have in common? A lot. They are full of empty promises. We cannot expect our children to be gurus any more than we can expect them to walk on water. And I woke up drunk parenting is just an endless cycle of sad with no answers and no real help. Neither one is authentic to our struggles and neither one acknowledges our sin. And of course, they offer us no grace. There's a wonderful movie called Away We Go that came out about five years ago. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you do. It's about this 30-something couple who have found themselves unexpectedly pregnant. And so, cool hipsters that they are, they travel the country looking for family that they can live close to, family that could help them. And yet, at every turn, they encounter their friends and family and they realize they're just as messed up as they are. And frankly, I think what they're looking for is not the comfort of family nearby. What they are looking for is someone to make them less terrified of becoming a parent. So let's watch it. What are we screw-ups? What do you mean? I mean, we're 34. 33? We don't even have this basic stuff figured out. We're not screw-ups. We have a cardboard window. Okay, we have news. We're leaving in June. 
the baby's due in July. To Antwerp in Belgium. You're moving 3,000 miles away from your grandchild. Well, I think it's more than 3,000, isn't it, Jerry? Oh, I think so. You know, we don't have to stay here. Well, where would we go? We agree we need to be near someone we know, so we could go anywhere we want. Wow. I have been searching all of my days. Now I'm wondering what we're doing. Did you look at the itinerary? I stapled it to the inside of your jacket. Many a road you know. See? I've been working hard. Ah, look at you! You're so fat! Oh, good. I was on the stop. Does this mean you guys will finally get married? I almost left Lowell about a dozen times. Kids don't know that. I've been quietly. What if something happens to one of us and just makes us go crazy? All we can do is be good for this one baby. We don't have control over much else. And my eyes confound me. And it's just too bright. We brought you something. They gave us a stroller. What's wrong with strollers? I love my babies. Why would I want to push them away from me? As the days keep turning into Sweetheart, listen to your I'll always love you. Even if it takes you months to lose this weight. Even if you're enormous. You go ahead and write that in stone. Your heart feels alright. Gonna do something about those ears. He looks like a trophy. I just don't think we should be talking about it. Right in front of the children. Oh, please. For it's just white noise to them. Listen, watch this. Taylor. 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 <laughs> I keep going on and on. So she says, uh, my Rudolph's character says, all we can do is be good for this one baby. We don't have control over much else. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful sentiment, and I totally remember thinking that when I was pregnant. <laughs> it breaks my heart every time I, I watch this clip and I see her say that again. It breaks my heart because I've got bad news for her, for me, for any of us who've told ourselves this. I find this quote so heart-wrenching because I know and you know that we don't even have control over that. I've said before that I don't understand how people parent without Jesus. And I don't say that because I'm worried about people going to hell. I'm from Mississippi. I have an undergraduate degree in worrying about people going to hell. <laughs> I don't have that kind of mental energy in my life anymore. Um, I'm just worried that on their way to hell, they're going to kill their two-year-old. That's my concern. Because being a parent is relentless. And the world is full of empty promises for answers. But for believers, we get the one answer that will save us from ourselves, grace. Grace before it happens, grace after it happens, grace while it is happening. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus came down here. He lived among us. He saw our imperfections, our sins, our vain attempts to get everything right, the darkness we keep hidden in our hearts. He saw it all, and he loved us anyway. 
And then he loved us so much, he died for us. And he gave us grace upon grace. So I want to spend the second half of this presentation talking about grace and what it means in our lives as parents. People in the religious parenting world get really anxious when you start to talk about grace. Ultimately, I think it's because we still want to earn it. We want to have conversations around discipline where we talk about how to offer grace to our children or how our home can be more grace-based. Churches love a rhyme, don't they? Um, And I think these conversations are well-intentioned, and I've been a part of them before, but they always leave me feeling like we're using catchy phrases and we're missing the mark. So often the suggestion goes in stuff that I've read is that we should theologize our children's sins sort of immediately after it happens, which looks like this. So little Johnny hits little Susie, and then you're supposed to say, remember, Johnny, that Jesus loves you died for you, and forgives you all your sins, even hitting your sister. How wonderful. Now say you're sorry, and let's go eat some pudding. I have deep admiration for the people in my life who can manage to pull this off. I have never been able to do that. When my son hits my daughter, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, go upstairs to time out. There's no theologizing in that moment for me. So I feel like reminders of grace aren't really about me reflecting on the sins of my children. Instead, I think it means as a parent, I am forced to be honest about my own sins in front of them. That's where the grace gets in, for me at least. And it is crazy and otherworldly almost every time. So this is what it looks like in the Condon household. Say you are sorry, ask for forgiveness, tell them the story. I heard a therapist once say he would be out of business if parents learned to say two words, I'm sorry. In practice, this means I apologize to my son when I've raised my voice or been short with him. And here's the crazy grace that happens. He has started apologizing to me when he's yelled or thrown a toy or scowled at his sister. And I don't ask him to do it, it's just started to happen, and it knocks the breath out of me every single time. So asking for forgiveness, when it's been a rough morning at our house, I pray aloud, Dear God, please forgive me for being so short with Neil this morning. He didn't do anything wrong, and I love him so much. (laughs) To which I often get back a whispered, Thank you, Mama. Astonishingly, Neil has begun his own prayers for forgiveness out loud. Sometimes he just tags them onto mine. (laughs) And so we have an impromptu forgiveness party um, at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, which is typically our breaking point. Finally, tell your kids the story of Jesus without agenda. Just say it over and over again, and not for them, but for you. Tell them about that grace on repeat. And then prepare yourself for what God will do with that grace that you're giving to them in that way. Because it will be scary. So last summer, we took our first family vacation with two kids. My son was fully three years old and a handful, and our daughter was just a few months old. Um, At one point, we were sending Neil upstairs for a nap. And uh, he was fighting it, like, every step of the way. So he's at the top of the stairs. I don't think he can hear me. I'm down in the living room. And I look at my husband, and I mutter, 
I'm about to go Old Testament on him. <laughs> and my, my son heard me, and he turned around from the top of the stairs. And I don't want y'all to think we're re- he, he like understood what the Old New Testament does, because he doesn't, okay? But from the top of the stairs, he yells down, Mama, you are the oldest, and I am the new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was terrified. And, and there it was, a belligerent, mostly unwelcomed reminder of God's grace in my parenting midst. So I want to end today talking about my favorite thing to come out of Texas. So many of you might have been thinking about Dr. Pepper or cowboy poetry, but you'd be wrong. My favorite thing to come out of our fair state is HGTV's new hit show, Fixer Upper. Shiplap, for any of you who watch it. Um, If you're not familiar, it documents the antics of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Basically, they help people buy really crappy houses, and they turn them into dream homes. And Joanna is really beautiful. It's obviously part of their shtick. So I love their designs. Everything is dreamy and neutral with very subtle accents. And since I categorize my own style as Mexican Cracker Barrel, her style is sort of the opposite of how I decorate. I always look at him like, how does she do that? It's amazing. I'm surrounded by color, you know. Um, so there is some crossover between our styles. Joanna Gaines loves her some signage. She's never decorated a house on this show without leaving 10 to 12 decorative signs in her wake. They are everywhere. And as the Gaines are a Christian family, many of her signs speak beautifully to their faith. So we used to be really big on those signs in our house too. And I've spoken before about a grace sign that we had hung up for years. Our sign says stuff like, we do hugs, we do love, we do grace. And while this is certainly something to aspire to, a few months ago, I had to take it down. To be frank, it was killing me softly. (laughs) It just didn't feel true. The thing is, as humans, we don't really do grace. We receive it. I'm thinking about painting a sign myself that says, we do yelling, we do poop, we do tired, and God's grace covers us anyway. The world tells us we can own this whole parenting thing. We can be inspired parents. And maybe this looks like Gwyneth Paltrow, and maybe this looks like Roseanne, but I want to tell you today that it is all lies. It makes us feel crappy about ourselves and our imperfections, and it leaves us empty with no answers. And yet we know, we know as Christians that our story is about so much more than us and what we fail to do. It is about Jesus and what he has done for us. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, And where he is, there I shall be also. Recently, one of our parishioners gave us a gigantic crucifix. Like, huge. This does not do it justice. It's probably, like, this big. It's massive. And I should say I come from a long line of old-school Southern Baptists. So uh, 
in the way I was raised, only Catholics put crucifixes up in their homes. The first time my mom saw it, and she was actually there when we got it as a gift, she gasped, and not in a good way. Um, But after a year of staring at it, I finally put it up on the wall right there in the living room where the kids play and we watch TV. Because I realized that maybe the only sign that says anything about grace in our lives is not a sign from Cracker Barrel that says we do grace, but instead the image of Jesus literally hung on a cross that says to my soul, give up trying so hard. You can't really do anything because I have done it all. I have brought you grace upon grace. I hope you leave here today encouraged and not because you have new tools for parenting or because I've told you something that you didn't already know. I hope you leave here encouraged by the fact that we all hide in the bathroom in some way or another. We all need a moment to process what is happening because parenting is the most rewarding and relentless job on the planet. I pray in those moments when you hide in the garage or in your bathroom or in the car or you just pull the sheet over your head on Monday morning when you realize it's about to all start all over again. I pray that you realize that you're not alone in the struggle that all the parents you know, even the ones, maybe especially the ones that look like they have it the most together, have been exactly where you are. They have all been frustrated, overjoyed, totally panicked, and deeply in love with their children all at the same time. And all of the parents you know, especially you, have been given grace upon grace. Because God in all of his mercy, came down here to love us into grace, to tangle us up in it, and to reassure us that no matter how difficult our lives may feel, we are allowed singular rest in him. God bless you and the babies you parent. Thanks so much for coming today.